Recovery Elevator, episode 67. It's like the Japanese say, you have a drink, the drink has a drink, then the drink has you. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator podcast. My name is Paul. Thank you so much for joining us. According to the Recovery Elevator sobriety tracker on my phone, I've been sober for one week shy of 21 months. On today's podcast, we've got Buddy. He's been sober since November 10th, 2008. He was in and out of AA since 2002 before something finally stuck. Ironically, Buddy talks about how alcohol actually saved his life. It's a great interview. If you'd like to support the Recovery Elevator podcast, do so by shopping at Amazon. Go to recoveryelevator.com forward slash Amazon. Make all your purchases through that link. You don't have to do anything. and Recovery Elevator gets a commission. The topic of today's podcast is, can alcoholics form true relationships? It was April 2004. I was on a high altitude pass in the Andes, probably with one or two days of sobriety under my belt, reading The Grapevine. That's an AA publication. It's like a Reader's Digest type size. It's a quick read, and there's a lot of cool stuff in there. However, I read a line that definitely stung to read. At that time, I was still looking for quick fixes. I thought that if I got into a relationship with a girl, my problems would be solved. But I read this line, which is out of page 53 in the 12 by 12. The primary fact that we fail to recognize is our total inability to form a true partnership with another human being. Reading that line was like a punch in the gut. I put down the grapevine, looked out the window, then asked the bus driver, Hey, where, uh, when are we going to stop next? Take a guess what I did at the next rest stop. Well, I'll let you stop guessing. I went, bought a bottle of vodka, continued to drink on the bus ride, and right around 13,000 feet after about 45 hairpin turns, threw up on myself all over the bus, and that nice bus driver, he actually apologized because he thought it was the windy turns, and he said he would make an effort to drive a little slowly around the turns. I looked at him with bile on my shirt and said, no, it's not your driving, amigo. Don't worry about it. At that moment, I was still focusing on the differences and not the similarities. I actually ended up finding this grapevine issue after searching for a long time in my files, in my backpack, and things like that. And in my memory, there was no but. It was just the article ended right there. But where I'm at now in sobriety is I focus on the similarities and not the differences. What I took was that I was going to have a total inability to form a true partnership with another human being, but the point of that article was to be happy while single in sobriety. However, my mind, my addiction, who I call Gary, was talking to me in my own voice, and it said, Look, Paul, you're never going to find a girl to listen to endless love with in the dark. Let's just go ahead and start drinking now. Gary got the best of me that day, and about 100 days consecutively after that. Only till about a year ago did I feel like I was even able to emotionally contribute to a relationship. For a decade, I was pretty much undateable. I couldn't bring anything to the table. I wasn't capable of forming a true relationship. That is something I would like to do. I don't want to keep my dating life apart from this podcast. However, there are some experiences that I think would add to this podcast topic. Let me start by saying I am happy single. I've been happy single for quite some time now. I share my bed with a standard poodle named Ben. We get up at the same time. We eat at the same time. It's pretty cool. I would like to share my life with somebody one day, but I don't know if that's in the cards right now. It might happen. It might not. Also, where I'm at in my sobriety is acceptance is the answer. 
If in 30 years, I still haven't formed a true partnership with somebody to share my life with, that's totally fine because acceptance is really the answer to all my problems. And I've got about 99 problems right now and a girl just doesn't happen to be one of them. About 10 to 15 podcasts ago, I talk about my experiment on Match.com. I have used me being alcoholic as an advantage for me dating in sobriety. It is the best filter. The first line in my profile read something like this. Recovering alcoholic, asthmatic, professionally diagnosed ADHD, allergic to horses, looking for mate. I had previously done Match.com twice with crickets and tumbleweeds. About 15 minutes after I posted that profile line, my third attempt on Match.com, I got a message. And more messages came to follow. I actually ended up driving seven hours and I met a girl halfway in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. I did not end up forming a true partnership with that woman, partly because I felt somewhat cheated. I had been completely open and transparent to this woman, and I thought she was also being open and transparent with me. But when I showed up, it was peculiar. She was carrying around a couple more LBs than her profile photos had indicated. Look, call me a shallow guy. That's totally fine. In fact, it wasn't the LBs that really got to me. I don't care. In fact, skinny girls, not really my type, but I just kind of felt cheated and that she wasn't fully honest with me. I think one of the reasons why alcoholics have a difficulty to form true partnerships with people is because of our character defect, selfishness. I am selfish. Most alcoholics are selfish. In fact, I haven't met an alcoholic that's not selfish, but I really can only speak for myself. I talk about the journey into sobriety often on this podcast. My journey is nowhere complete. I still have a lot more progress and a lot more to learn, which I can't wait to continue forward on my journey into sobriety. It might not be coincidence that I'm still at step 11 with my sponsor. And once I hit step 12, which is service, I think that is the key to forming a true partnership, getting outside of yourself and helping out other people. I have learned that all of these skills and tools that I've learned in recovery, they get better with practice. I need to practice more service. I mentioned in a previous podcast when I had a friend ask a bunch of us if we could help them move. That day was totally full. There was not a chance I was going to be able to help that person move. However, that day very early in the morning went to shit. As my mind, the mental shitstorm just continued to swirl, I realized, wait a second, I need to be of service to somebody. I went over, helped my friend move, assembled some office furniture. That was the best two hours of my day. I'm still slowly learning that service is one of the best ways to get outside of my selfish mind. I don't know, Recovery Elevator. I don't have the answers to this. But I do know at this moment, I am not able to form a true partnership with another human being. About a month ago, I was watching the movie Leaving Las Vegas with Nicolas Cage, right before the podcast episode about movies and recovery came out. I was watching that movie with a lovely woman. Beautiful, great personality. She's also in recovery doesn't really get any better than that. And right around the end of the movie, I thought about that article that I read. I could almost even taste the bile in my mouth. And I kind of got bummed out. I was like, man, why isn't this happening? Why aren't there sparks just flying off the wall? I got bummed. I was disappointed. I was sad. Not disappointed in the girl that I was with because she did nothing wrong. She's awesome. But I know that I need to go further in my journey to sobriety. Maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't, but that's okay. Right now, Ben and I, that giant poodle, we're having a great time. 
And we're both very happy. Well, I'm happy at least. So just out of curiosity, what are your experiences about forming relationships and sobriety? Now, this doesn't have to be specific to dating. It could be the same sex. I have found that I've also struggled to form lasting bonds with other males. It takes a long time for me to develop close relationships with other guys. Who knows? Let's hear from a guy who does know more about this than I do. But before we hear from Buddy, let's hear from our sponsor, Cafe RE. Before I got sober, I felt alone. It felt like I was the only one in the whole world who found it extremely difficult to stop drinking once I had started. With Cafe RE, I now know I'm not alone. In fact, there are so many people all around this world just like me. In Cafe RE, for $10 a month, I get access to a private, unsearchable Facebook group where I can connect with other like-minded individuals, meet with them face-to-face in several weekly live webinars and meetings, I can get paired with an accountability partner who has a similar sobriety date as mine, I can attend in-person meetups and attend exclusive sober trips to places like Costa Rica. If there's one thing I've learned in sobriety, it's that I can't do this alone. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code ELEVATOR for your first month free. Again, use the promo code ELEVATOR when signing up for your first month free. Buddy, how are you? Doing well today, sir. How about yourself? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for asking. Buddy, let's get right into this. How long have you been sober? Since November of 08, so a little over seven, seven and a half years now, Paul. Nice job, buddy. Before we get any further, let's get to know you a little better. Give listeners a little background about yourself, maybe where you're from. What do you do for a living, buddy? Your age? Are you married? And What do you like to do for fun, buddy? I am married. I have two children. I live in uh, uh, the Atlanta, Georgia area, 50 years old. I, I really enjoy distance motorcycle riding. I started competing in... Uh, iron butt competitions last year so i do a lot of a lot of riding i'm in the real estate business so i have some flexibility with my time so i can i can do some service and and also get to do some riding as well nice and buddy let's talk about the podcast title for a second recovery elevator talk to me about your elevator was it seven and a half years ago did something happen what uh what caused you to get off the elevator and quit drinking that actually started well before that, Paul. I was in and out of the program for six years before I, I was actually able to put any time together. Uh, so I actually started in uh, going to to AA in '02. So it, it took a, it took a while for me to for this thing to stick. For me, I was involved uh, as a as a youngster. I was involved in church, so I really did not drink much uh, as a teenager. My drinking did not start. Till I got in my late 20s, early 30s, and I, I got some flexibility with business uh, to where I was not, a, not having to work every day like a regular hourly job. So then I, I found myself drinking more, and, and, as I, and it just, it's like the Japanese say, you have a drink, the drink has a drink, then the drink has you. And it did not take long. It only took a couple of years for alcohol to really become a problem for me. And listeners, Buddy and I have had many conversations outside of the one we're having right now. And there was a line that is unique because after interviewing 69 or 70 alcoholics right now, our stories are really all the same. But, buddy, you said a line that I haven't heard that much, and it was that alcohol actually saved your life. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. Yeah. Yes. It, it, explain that whole scenario where your business environment was kind of turned upside down, and then alcohol was your savior. Tell me about that. Well, actually, what, what I've learned, Paul, is that I, I substituted alcohol for God, looking back on mm. it. 
And and what I did was uh, when my business failed, I had I had a business fail, and I, I did not really understand why or or could not really cope with that because I put so much of my value in being successful that I started drinking heavier and heavier during that time. And alcohol really saved my life. It kept me from blowing my brains out. And I really think that if I would not have had that crutch of alcohol, that would have happened. Uh, that I would have I would have taken stronger measures but then alcohol turned on me and it it worked for a while and then it then it stopped working and uh, that that got me into recovery so what was the time frame on that when alcohol did save your life was that for this before the six years where you're in and out of aa so what 14 years ago 15 years ago? yes it was uh, around 2000 okay. so we're looking at 16 years ago and that was when i had a business fail and then it took a couple of years for alcohol to get to the point where it was really a problem and now i remember the the time when I realized that, for whatever reason, I, I drank 90-proof Smirnoff, and, and, I, and I had a cabinet in my office that was full of empty half-gallon bottles, and I'd said, I kept telling myself I'm going to quit, so this, this Saturday, I'd said, you know, I said, I had, my office was in my basement, uh, I said, I'm not going to buy any liquor for Sunday, at that time, you couldn't buy liquor on Sunday, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I said, you know, I said, I'm not going to buy anything. And I found myself Sunday afternoon taking all those bottles and turning them upside down, trying to get drops out in a cup so sure. I could have a drink. And, and at that point, I said, buddy, you got a problem. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like the, uh, the oh shit moment question that, that I'm going to ask later. Definitely it. In, that in podcast. definitely my oh shit moment. And, and I did not know where to turn, Paul. I, I had no idea that anyone drank like me because... I didn't drink in bars. I didn't have friends that drank heavy. I drank by myself. I worked all the time. So it did not affect my work as much because a lot of my work was at home and on the phone. And if I had an appointment, I would get out early in the morning before I'd had much to drink and try to get all of my out out of the office work done before lunch so that I could drink heavier in the afternoon. So I really did not know there were other people like me out there. I was so selfish that I only thought about me, so I didn't see the other people around me, really, that had similar problems. Oh, that selfish characteristic that we all have. And, buddy, explain more about your drinking habit when you decided to marry all the empty Smirnoff bottles into yeah. probably what would result in a half of a shot. You know, did you ever ha- did you ever try to put measures in place to, say, maybe moderate your drinking or things oh, sure. like that? Sure. I, of course, I would go to drinking beer or uh, I would I really didn't try drinking other liquors because once I once I found what I liked there. But what I what I did do was I decided I was going to lose weight. I'd put on some weight drinking so much. So I looked for diets online that I could still drink oh, yeah. and, and still and diet and lose weight. So I found the Atkins diet and I found out that if I took and changed my mixer from orange juice to crystal light lemonade that was the one mixer i could find that had no sugar in (laughs) so i started drinking crystal light lemonade with 90 proof smirnoff Uh okay and i just i drank 24 hours a day and over the course of months i did lose some weight but i also developed a pancreatitis and i was in the hospital actually they they told my wife to pick out my pallbearers gave me a 50 50 chance of living Uh, i was on a ventilator ended up with three surgeries and I really lost some weight in there. I lost 60 pounds from the time I went into the time uh, a few months later after my last surgery. So it was, it was a tough time. And even after all of that, within a few months, I was drinking again. 
And buddy, that is actually where I'd like to steer this interview in that direction at this moment. But before that, I'm going to, I'm going to throw in, uh, you might be an alcoholic if you solve one problem, a weight problem, and you create a ton of other problems. We are really good at doing that. And talk to me about the hospital experience where doctors basically said, buddy, you need to quit drinking. If you continue to drink, conditional statement, you have a choice to drink or not. If you can, if you continue to drink, your body will shut down, resulting in death. Walk me through that. And you said two months after that, you were drinking again. Yes, for me, you know, they gave me all these scenarios and said, "Listen, you know, forty percent of the time, this is caused by alcohol. Forty percent, it. I think they said gallbladder, and twenty percent crystal light just happened. You know, and so." Yeah. Uh, they asked me if I drank regular, and I said, yes, I did. And they said, well, you're going to need to stop that. I said, okay, I'll stop. So I got out, and for a few, you know, for a while, I did okay. For a few months, I did okay. And then I found myself going by and getting the occasional beer at the beer store, and then that developed, and then within, you know, within three months, I was back to drinking daily, back to drinking daily, and with no control. And I'm sitting here just like when I was in front of that cabinet of bottles and saying, you know, I'm back to no control again. I, I do not have an answer for this. Now, and, what uh, did the just, doctors say when you did you have checkups? They're like, buddy, you're uh, still drinking. I would just lie about it sure. and, you know, say I was not drinking as much, much as I was. And, and I had one, uh, I have one funny experience. I had a, uh, one of my, my medical doctor, uh, he, and I was honest with him more so than I was the other doctors. And he had me on some antidepressants and things. And I called him and said, you know, I'm ready to quit drinking. And he said, well, let me send you to a rehab. And I was a landlord, and I always carried a pistol with me because I was always in and out of places. I either had money on me or was fixing to get money, so I always carried. And, uh, and I went into a rehab, and they were going through the questions and all, and they said, okay, if you were to, have you ever considered suicide? I said, yes. How would you do it? They said, with a, uh, I said, with a gun. Oh, I know where this is going. And they, and they said, uh, well, do you have a gun on you? And I said, yes. And they got up and left the room. <laughs> that was yeah. another oh shit moment. I was like, oh shit, they're fixing to come back. The big guys are coming back when the coats, you know, and they're going to lock me down. So I found an escape. I found an exit door and bolted out of there. Did you have to blast your way out of there? <laughs> no, I didn't. I, I found an exit and got out the parking lot and left and never went back. And that was my, my first uh, rehab experience. Lasted about 15 minutes. Now, did your body physically recuperate even though you returned to drinking after just a couple months? It did. I had uh, I had to have two surgeries to correct the pro- problems that I had. I had to take they had to cut a piece of my intestine and tee it into where my pancreas used to be. So I had to have major surgery to fix those things. I had pseudo cysts and all those things that were there involved. But still, even with all of that, it, it was not enough for me to be able to stop. I had no no power over this thing, Paul. I really had no uh, my willpower was not affected. Was not effective at all. Yeah, and we, you and I both know this is not an issue of willpower. We are up against something more powerful than a simple choice, yes or no. Just say no. That was a, the campaign by the, Ron, uh, the, by the Reagan administration that really tries to punish the addiction out of us. Doctors, they're trying to punish the addiction out of us through consequences. And we all know that uh, you know, legal ramifications from another DUI or a doctor telling us that our body will shut down, it doesn't do anything. Maybe for a couple days, a couple weeks, a couple months, but in the end, the result's still the same. We have a disease called addiction, and our body is chemically dependent on alcohol. And buddy, 
Talk to me about you know, the six years when you were in AA. What was that like? And then what do you think finally happened at the end when yeah, something finally clicked. stuck? What clicked, yeah. Uh, I, you know, I think about that quite often. For me, after all the, the physical issues, then I started having legal issues from this. I had a, had a DUI. And after the DUI, my wife was getting fed up with me. I was, I was fed up with me. Uh, it was just miserableness, really. And I said, you know, something's got to change. So to get everybody off my case, I checked into uh, detox. And I went to the hospital for this. And the first, um, looking back on the first time I really had any hope, I had a nurse that said, what are you here for? And I said, I'm, I'm here to detox. And she said, you know, go do what they tell you to do because I know it'll work for you. And she was telling me that, you know, that I believe she was in the program too. You know, and she was telling me in a way that, hey, this will work for you. You do what they tell you to do. Hmm. And I felt that, you know, and, um, and I, went, uh, I went to detox. Uh, then I started going. I went to an AA meeting away from where I worked and lived. My DUI was in a neighboring town, so none of that was in the news. or any, none, of, none of the people I worked with knew any of that. So I went to AA in a neighboring town, and the first meeting I went to, there was a guy there that chaired the meeting, and that was the first time after that little glimpse of hope I got from the nurse that I really got the hope that this would work for me. That, had, that was what happened for me. I got the, the glimpse that it would work and uh, saw it working in somebody else. So when I saw that, I said, you know, I'm going to keep coming back because if he got it, I know I can get it. I'm a lot smarter than this guy, so if he got it, I know I can get it. Oh, obviously, of course. I even came from it from an ego perspective then, you know. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I always know more than anyone else, you know. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, and so, you know, was relapse a common you know, part of your story? Did you get a week or were you just drinking nonstop for six and a half years and all of a sudden something clicked? No, I, I started going to meetings. I got a sponsor. I worked the steps. I went through the steps with a sponsor and I stayed in touch with a sponsor. And I would get anywhere from six months to nine months to a week. I mean, it was all over the board. And, and I, was, I would meet with my sponsor, and he would say, okay, what are you going to do different now that you didn't do before? And I just quit pick, even picking up chips because even though I knew AA was the answer for me and I saw that hope there, just because I wasn't getting it did not mean that it did not work. Mm-hmm. Just My results didn't mean that, that it wasn't real or that, that it wasn't a source of recovery it just meant that i wasn't getting it so i kept going back i kept i kept i kept asking and and seeking and i I kept doing more i kept going to more meetings and and i realized that my problem was that i i just was not doing the first step i still chose to drink when i got the efforts it's what Hmm. a lot of people call it you know when when you just don't care anymore, you get the, you know, that you just say, you know, none of it matters. It just, I just do not care. Sure. It got to that point, instead of turning to God, I would turn to alcohol. And, and finally, one day, this program had grown on me to the point to where I said, you know, this time I'm going to turn to God and my higher power instead of turn to alcohol. Mm-hmm. And I just refused to drink. And for whatever reason, Paul, that's what it took for me. And, and it worked. And, and I started putting time together after that. 
And, and I started, you know, used to, I used to think, I think this is the major difference. I was raised thinking that I did everything I could do, and then I asked God to do the part I couldn't do. You know, I did my best, and then God would do the rest. You know, that kind of thinking. But what I finally realized was my best is not what God's after. What, what God's after for me is for me to submit my best. And, and from the very beginning, and that I don't even have half of the solution or any part of the solution. I have to just submit that and seek his will for my life. And in that process, yes, I still work, and yes, I still do, but it's very hard to explain that difference that comes. But, but it's a whole different mindset of thinking that, that instead of me doing all I can, I, I submit that ability. And when I submitted that and said, you know, God, I don't have any of the answers. You know, I don't need a co-pilot. I don't even need to have the key to the cockpit. I, I don't, <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't have the answers at all. I need you in everything, and there's no part of my life that I do not need you to be involved in, and I don't need your will in. So when I started praying that, Lord, you know, work your will in my life regardless of what it takes. You know, it's kind of one of those things I prayed and I wanted to take back. You know, once I said it, I, oh, shit, what did I just say? You know, <laughs> one of those kind of prayers, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've experienced that, but it's like, why am I praying that? That's not what I really want, you know. When, when, you know, that's for me trying to hold on to the control, you know, afraid of what that's going to be. Hey, buddy, let me ask a question real quick. Yeah. Um, when you say, when I pray to God, now there's a lot of people listening right now who are thinking about getting sober. There's probably some listening right now that are drinking. And there's there's a lot of trepidation and pushback with the God thing. Now, is this something that you, were you praying to the guy on the cross? Is that something that we have to pray to that person ourselves or could we replace it with something different or yeah but the the way i the way i look at that and i use you could use higher power or or the only thing that that really concerns me uh, and that i saw was it didn't matter as much who or what i prayed to as long as it was not me oh that okay. i'm not god and that i don't have the answers and once i submitted to whatever's out there that it's not me that has the solution, that the solution has to come from something other than my abilities. Once I did that, then I seemed to get help with that. So when I say God, I mean that in a generic fashion of, you know, higher power. And, and that's the reason I think in AA they use higher power, God as we understand him, you know, is so that, you know, we have all these preconceived notions of God. And I know a lot of people uh, that are resentful at God because of the way their life turned out, that they don't, or they don't even believe in a God, which, which is fine with me as long as I've seen, I've seen people change that come into the program that had no beliefs at all as long as they believed it wasn't them doing it. That's where I draw the line. That's the great thing about AA. We don't ever talk about what our real belief is in God. It's amazing how much they talk about you have to have one but you never discuss what that is. Actually, you're right on that. I don't recall anybody describing an image of how tall or what they look like and things like that. But listeners, we just heard a value bomb in there is the solution is as soon as you realize that your thoughts and actions come to the realization that it's your ideas that put you in the current place and you know the solution, you don't have it. And you have to ask 
a god. You have to ask a tree. You have to ask a pond, a lake. It doesn't really matter. You just have to be getting outside your head and realize, look, look, the, the ideas are not in my head. I need help. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, you know, I've even seen people come into into the rooms and use uh, God as meaning group of drunks. You know that that I have I have faith in these people that they can help me because they've gotten sober. And I would also like to say that you know I don't believe AA is the only solution to alcoholism. I believe that uh, there's a lot of good programs out there, and I would suggest folks try everything and see what works for them, and take the parts of it. And I've heard you say this on your podcast, Paul. Take the things that work and use them and focus on the similarities rather than the differences. Big time right and, there. And use those things, you know, and not, and not get hung up on the differences. We can always find differences with everyone. You know, you can listen to not a word I say because of my accent, you know. And, and, and I have hair and doesn't, Buddy doesn't. Yeah, yeah, there's, exactly. There's a difference well, I do, right but there. I shave, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Exactly, but Buddy's fixing uh, fixing the glare at me right now is in his terminology. Yeah, you look good though. You look good. I'm sure I'll be there shortly with the stress that I've been under this last two weeks with work. But Buddy, yeah, um, walk me through how you did it from day one. What did it look like? And then after that, walk me through a day of of Buddy today and how you stay sober now. So what was it like? How'd you do it in the start? And then what is it? What do you do right now to stay sober? The first thing I did was really started. Um, I started going to meetings. For me, that was a huge part of getting sober. I got a sponsor. I started doing what my sponsor suggested. I started doing some devotion. I was not regular with that. And every time I got drunk, I would think, okay, what can I do different? And I would add just a little bit every time. I wouldn't do everything. I would just add a little more. Maybe this is just enough. I don't want to give up entirely. I just want to do what I have to do. I'm just going for the C plus right here. That's, That's it. it. No, I just want a passing grade is all passing I want. Grade. <laughs> so, you know, I, I don't want to be the star student. I want to just get a passing grade. Yeah. You know? And so, so I, would, uh, uh, I would do that. And, there, and I kept doing a little more and a little more. And then I realized I had to give up on the grade. You know, I just had to do. I just had to do. And that, that was what changed. And over the years, that has progressed. What I do, uh, a major change for me in my recovery was about three years ago. I realized I was getting stale. I didn't really have, you know, there was no, no white cloud or any of that. And I really didn't have any kind of real peace. I was just disturbed, you know. And I wasn't wanting to drink, but yet I wasn't happy with my sobriety. And I thought, you know, I, I need to be doing something different. So I knew enough to just seek God about it and say, listen, you know, what do I need to do different? And I felt like I needed to be doing more service. So I went to a meeting that I don't normally go to that has a lot of new folks in the meeting that need sponsorship. So I went to that meeting the first day I went. I got a, got a sponsee the very first day I went. And I started working with them. And then God put some other people in my life that I had to start serving that were not in AA. I had a guy that was paralyzed from the chest down that, I, that was a friend of mine that I felt like I needed to go and visit, and I went and visited him every week. I had another guy that was uh, in AA, and he, he was in a nursing home, and I started going and visiting him and getting him out and getting his groceries and taking him to eat Kentucky Fried Chicken, which he liked, and eat every Friday Kentucky Fried Chicken. And, and go to a meeting and get his groceries and all of that, and take him back to the nursing home. 
So I started doing some of these things, and I thought, God, I said, what does this have to do with sobriety? And I figured out finally that my life had to become about service and everything. So I started having that same attitude of service toward my relationships in business. And I found every time I finished a conversation, the last thing I would say would be not thinking, what can I do? What can I get out of you? Have I got everything out of you I need? It is more of, okay, what can I do for you? And I physically asked them, okay, is there anything else you need from me today? And the first time I did, I was like, what am I asking? What am I doing? You know, another one of those things like that prayer I prayed, you know, you realize after the fact. And I realized that, that my heart was changing towards service and that service had to be an attitude in everything. Not just, you know, what it took to keep me sober, but, you know, in, in, all, my, in all my affairs. And, and I believe that's what uh, the program's talking about when we're practicing in all of our affairs is learning to have that service mentality in everything that we do. Now, Buddy is on to something huge right here. It's the word service. Mm-hmm. And I am very slowly getting that through my thick dome, even though I've heard it hundreds of times in the meetings. Two Saturdays ago, I got a text message. I was on a group text message. I had a friend who was moving. Moving is never fun. I said, hey, guys, I'm moving from my house to my office at 12 p.m., and I'm like, oh, thank goodness my schedule's so full. I can't go anyways. Yeah, I had a, really, I had a pretty good excuse. But yeah. that day was not going as planned for me. And right around 1130, I was like, you know what? I, I'm miserable right now. And this doesn't make sense to me. And I don't really fully understand why. But I'm going to go help this person move. And believe it or not, those two hours of moving heavy desks and beds that was the best two hours of my day, and it, it was just the service. It, 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 you know what I'm talking about, right, buddy? You, you know, when we, we find, Paul, that, and this is what I have found, that w- when you start dealing with spiritual things and you start really seeking the will of God for your life, that two plus two is not going to equal four. It equals blue. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, it's gonna, you're going to be, it's just not going to add up. Uh, like for me in business, the hours I spend in business, and, I, and I'm currently working anywhere from, you know, uh, 14 to 40 hours a month, okay? And it just depends on the month. But I still have money in the bank, and I'm thinking, God, how have I got money in the bank when I'm really not putting forth the effort? You know, instead of the dollars depleting, it seems like they're still there when they shouldn't be, you know? And, and, uh, and, and I believe it goes back. To uh, if we're doing what's in front of us to do, and, it, and it's really simple, you know, you pray, you turn your will and your life over to the care of God, and you just do the next right thing that's in front of you to do, and just leave the rest out of it. You know, having to be into the results, get out of the results because the results are none of your business. You just do what's in front of you to do. That doesn't mean you got to have to be a doormat, but you you learn and, and you know what's right for you to do. You know. Absolutely, and one of my favorite quotes, and I'm upset with myself that the the name who the gentleman who said this is slipping my mind. It's basically help people get what they want, and eventually you will get what you want. Now, talk to me about your service commitments right now. Tell me about everything you do, but also talk to me about daily reflections as well. Yeah, uh, what I do, and this is interesting, Paul. I had a fellow in my uh, home group years ago. I really didn't like the guy. He was got one of these old timers that wasn't very friendly kind of guys, you know. And I heard he was in the hospital, had heart problems. And I felt like I needed to go visit the guy. And he was in a hospital 30 miles away. So I went and visited him. 
This was back when God was working the service business in me. And so I went and visited him, and we got to talking, and we got to be friends. And come to find out, he had been doing uh, transitions daily, and it's a daily email that he sent out. For 14 years, this guy had pushed the button every night. He's got a, a closed Google group and a closed Yahoo group that he sends a daily uh, devotion to, and it distributes out through those groups, and it's most of the daily um, AA emails, all of the, the transitions, day, or the daily reflections and the big book quote and the thought and as Bill sees it and then all 24 hours, all those things. In one email, every day for 14 years, he's pushed the button every night to send this. And I was on the email list, and I had no idea this was the guy doing it. And he originated this thing. And he asked me, he said, buddy, he says, when I go to that great meeting in the sky, he said, will you uh, take this over for me? And I said, um, I told him, it's Clint Y. And I said, uh, yeah, Clint, I'll do that. So, but we've got to figure out how to automate it. So I've been working with them the last year automating it. And actually, that's how I got in touch with you was through me reaching out to some different podcasts about uh, Transitions Daily. So uh, I'm excited that, that God's trusted me with this kind of service. You so know? How, how, do we get a, how, do, how do I get on that list and get a daily email? Uh, it's, uh, you can go to uh, dailyaaemails.com is the URL that'll give you the options. There's a Facebook way you can get it, and there's a Facebook group, and there's, there's a Twitter as well that it's uh, tweeted out every day. Gotcha. So, when you first uh, told me about that, it reminded me of the Lost series where I think like season two, there was a guy that had to type in a certain code like every four yeah. hours. So yeah. every day, you just, you know, for years, that gentleman first, was sending an email. For, tw- for 14 years, he pushed that button every night for 14 years. And that helped him stay sober. Yeah, it did. Exactly. And now here I am. That's the kind of service I want to be trusted with. You know, that's important. I mean, we've got over 12,000 people that get this every day. And we're adding anywhere from 5 to 20 people a day. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, you know, that's the kind of service I want to do. You know, that's reaching a lot of people, doing a lot of good. And the only way I was trusted with that was it started with a blind visit to the hospital that I had no idea that had any connection whatsoever. That's the kind of two plus two not equaling four that we that we see. You know, yeah, this is how confusing it is, but how beautiful it is at the same time. Is you could send out fifteen thousand emails, zero people could open up those emails, and it would help you tremendously. I mean, that is two plus two equals Armenia, right there. Yeah, yeah. it just I mean, you doesn't don't make know. any sense. Yeah, yeah. N- n- none at all. You none know, at all. Uh, and that's the thing we learn about service, uh, Paul is that, yes, service is, is to help others, but the way we get over our selfishness and the way we get over our hang-ups is not by doing more for us, but by doing for someone else. And, and that's what I found in AA and I found in recovery, that if, if I'm thinking about a drink or if I'm having a problem, what I need to do is ask God to send me someone that I can help. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's that simple, really, you know, and we try to complicate it and we want to get all these programs and things together to, to make us better people. But I don't think it's about making us a better person. I think it's about learning how to, to show us that we just need to submit and that we're powerless over this thing. Buddy, great stuff. Let's get into the rapid fire round. If you could answer these questions within 30 to 60 seconds, that would be great. Are you ready? Yes. Buddy number one, what was your worst memory from drinking? Considering suicide. 
I, I went very far in one day in writing notes to my kids and all kinds of drunken things to do, you know, when you're doing that kind of thing in a drunk. And uh, I didn't do it, but that's that one and telling myself continually that I hated myself. Mm. I looked in the mirror continually. I'd ride down the road and look in the rearview mirror and, and tell myself that I hated myself. And, and that just stopped. And I didn't even realize it had stopped until a few months later. And I said, you know, I have not told myself in months that I hated myself. But we know of the aha moment where you were marrying the empty Smirnoff bottles of vodka. Talk to me another oh shit moment where you realized like, wow, maybe I can't control my drinking. I was sitting in a closing. I was selling a piece of real estate. And I'd been busy that morning and hadn't had anything to drink. Because normally I just started drinking the drink I didn't finish the night before in the morning. I didn't drink coffee. I just drank liquor and at that time Crystal Light Lemonade. But, uh, but I, and I was sitting in the closing and it was like one or two o'clock in the afternoon and I could not sign the deed to sell the property. I could not sign my signature. And I was sitting there and my fingers, my, my hand would not work. And I'm like, what is this? What is wrong with me? You know, I, I just scribbled something. I mean, I, I don't, I mean, I just scribbled to do it. And, and I realized that I had not had a drink that day. And that's when I realized that, you know, buddy, this stuff is controlling you. And you're, you, you got a problem. Wow. Buddy, next question. Number three, what's your plan in sobriety moving forward? Just keep doing what works, man. Just keep doing it. Doing the deal. Nice. Next question. What's your favorite resource in recovery? Uh, I looked at that, and quite honestly, the one resource I use every day is I use Transitions Daily myself. And, and I read all of those. I, I used to just pick out the Daily Reflections. and had a sponsee that said, you know, he said, I've started reading all of those. And I was like, oh, shit, if he's doing it, I'm not going to let a sponsee outdo me. <laughs> Love it. So I, so I, I started doing them all myself. And uh, that's, that's the one thing I do every day. Next question, buddy. In regards to sobriety, what's the best advice you've ever received? Just keep coming back. You know, I just had to keep, keep at it. If I wasn't getting it, did not mean that it didn't work, that, that my, my results didn't mean that, uh, that, that this deal wasn't working, that I just need to keep coming back with, Results were there for me when I was ready. And last question, and I'm going to throw a little curveball in this here. Instead of what parting piece of guidance can you give to listeners who are in recovery or thinking about quitting drinking, I'm going to ask you, what advice would you give to your younger self? Well, drink, uh, drink more faster so you can get there. Uh, uh, I think it takes what it process takes. process up. Yeah, I, I just think it takes what it takes, Paul. I, we can't short-circuit this thing. I don't believe I can and the real convincer for me, I had physical problems. I had a wife that was threatening to leave. I had children I was not spending time with. I had all these things, all the circumstances of life that could happen, and none of it was enough. It took alcohol to convince me. And uh, alcohol is a convincer, man. I, I don't see a way around it. I wish there were, but I don't see it. And uh, I, just, I would just suggest drinking more quicker so that you can get to, the, get to your bottom. You can't skip any of the milestones of the journey of sobriety, but you can speed the process up. And, buddy, before we depart, give listeners your own customized You Might Be an Alcoholic gift line. You might be an alcoholic if you've ever been sunburned on the roof of your mouth. Oh, (laughs) wow. I love it. I love it. Buddy, thank you so much for helping me stay sober. Appreciate it. Have an awesome day. In the Recovery Elevator private community, CAF-A-R-E, a lot of people have done the same thing that I did just a couple weeks ago. We post on Facebook. We think we're posting in CAF-A-R-E and... 
boom, your friend Mike from middle school text messages you and says, holy crap, you're an alcoholic? I had no idea. You should text me or call me next time you're thinking about drinking. The end result is always good. However, it's terrifying when you realize you make that mistake. Even me, when I've been sober for almost two years and I talk about shredding the shame, tackling the stigma, I still have that moment where I'm like, oh no, oh no. But I do know now that only good comes out of those posts and I didn't delete it. Anyways, I posted about the Recovery Cafe coming soon to Bozeman, Montana. I really have no plans of opening up a coffee shop in Bozeman, Montana. I don't have the time to do that right now. But the point was to get the conversation started. Get the conversation started is what happened when I accidentally posted that on my personal Facebook page. And guess what? There's a lot of interest in it. How cool would it be to open up a coffee shop when you already know there's a lot of people that are come and drink the coffee? And the beauty about it, the coffee could suck. That's really not the point of why you're going to go there, to have good coffee. Hopefully, I'd be able to figure out how to make good coffee, but right now, I have no idea. So I have accidentally let the cat out of the bag a couple times on Facebook, and I have purposely done it as well. Every time, the end result is fantastic. People reach out to me, and they're like, hey, I also am struggling with alcohol. Can we grab coffee? Hell, wish we could go to the recovery cafe and have a cup of coffee, but that's not happening anytime soon or ever, but I think it actually might as the conversation continues to unfold. Recovery elevator, we took the elevator down. We got to take the stairs back up. We can do this. 